Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. This is the long-awaited episode 84. This has been, what, about six weeks in the making here? And, uh, <laughs> man, um, it has been a crazy six weeks for me. Um, I'll explain a little bit of that in a moment, but it is good to be back. And uh, we've got a lot to do on today's show. You're going to hear from a couple of the Classic Weekend winners. And uh, we also have some other things to talk about. Uh, and we're going to give away a book. We're going to do a giveaway. Um, so we've got that coming up as well. I want to start all this, though, as I always feel the need to do because it's the right thing to do by saying thank you to those who make this show possible. Uh, Jeff West and the folks from IPC Indy, IndyPerformanceComposites.com. Also, Sean Cathcart and the staff from Skip's Fish Fry and LaGraff's Pub. And, of course, Rich Worth and the staff from JNS Paving. Um, thanks to all of those folks for helping to make this all happen the way that it does. And thanks to all of you who have made this so much fun for the last couple of years, who listen to the show and share the show and, um, and comment on the show and talk about the show. And um, it's, uh, it's really been amazing. And I, I, I really, uh, as I watched all of the classic weekend festivities, on Flow Racing, and as I watched social media and saw some of the stuff that Flow didn't cover that was going on, uh, it really crystallized for me just why I love doing this show. And and really, boy, seeing the seeing the restored cars was just incredible. Um, and so we'll talk about all of that. As we get going with the program, but first let's, uh, before we take a break and then get started with the substance of the show here, um, I first want to let you know that, uh, we, we did try, I did try to, to reach out to Cam here and before I could even send the uh, message to him to be on the show here, um, I realized that I had waited so long, he'd actually gotten out of the country. Um, he's jet-setting again. Cam's back in Norway, so uh, that's why he will not be on the show and probably will be off for a little while. Uh, so we want to wish him a safe time there, first of all, and uh, and, and hope that uh, he has a lot of fun. We, we pick on Cam because, well, that's what Cam's here for. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool lifestyle that he leads to be able to, um, to have built, uh, you know, enough work to do that you can do remotely, that you can take off to Norway for a few months and hang out with your girlfriend and have a good time and still do the work and make a living and, and all that. So, uh, excited for him for that. Um, and, you know, just, uh, really excited 
to um, to to see that he's got that opportunity. So um, at any rate, uh, Cam, I know you listen to these shows, so I uh, hope you have a great time there, and I hope you're 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 safe, and uh, uh, we'll get you back on as soon as you get back stateside, whenever that is. So um, okay, who's on the show? So we there was so much going on over Classic Weekend. Uh, so many races that, and we really, ideally, I'd like to have the winner of every race on, and we're working on it. Uh, we've got four of them in the can, so to speak. Uh, four interviews done. We're going to split them up because you know they're they're not one minute interviews. They're they're a little longer. Um. So and because there's just so much to talk about because there was so many uh, so many races over that weekend. Um. I just decided that it would be good to split it up. So um, trying to keep these shows to 60 to 90 minutes. So that's uh, somewhere in that range. That's what we're, we're going to do here. So today you're going to hear from classic winner Dave Schillick. You're going to hear from the Superstock, the Dave London Memorial Superstock Classic winner. Um, I was going to say Jody London. How about Jimmy Steffenhagen? Uh, courtesy of Jody London, who put me in touch with him. Jody is uh, obviously the promoter of that race, uh, his father's memorial race. And uh, and Jody um, was nice enough to pass me Jimmy's number so we could get him on. And I'm going to discuss more about this a little later in the show. But um, I hope that I, I know that super stocks don't equal super modifieds. OK, but. I'm, I've made the executive decision um, that if it races at Oswego Speedway, it's fair game. Um, and I, because I just feel like as a fan, I know when I go to a track, it always makes it more fun for me if I know some of the drivers there and know more about them and I can kind of care about them enough to cheer for them and, and be, you know, excited about watching them race. And so um, I thought it would be fun to just sort of expand the palette a little bit on this show because I want everybody to be excited about all the stuff that races in a Swiggo. We all love the Fast Five Ace, right? That's kind of what ties us all together is the Oswego Speedway. Um, or I guess for some of us, it's just Supers in general. But most everybody, I think, when you say Super Modifieds, with all due respect to you know, the folks in the other areas. I mean, Oswego has been the home of the supers for what, 50 years, almost 60 years. Um, and so, you know, I feel like we ought to give some of these other divisions the opportunity to, you know, the same courtesy of some airtime here and, and to talk about some of the cool stories that, that are inherent in the, in the, you know, the drivers that race in those classes. So, um, so we're going to have Jimmy on, and uh, we did reach out to Jake Gusty, who won the four-cylinder events, the, the um, uh, compact races, but um, haven't heard back from him yet. So if we do, we'll add him to a future show. Um, but we can tell you that for the next show, we already have Josh Sokolik, who won the SBS Classic, and we also have... The 350 Classic winner, Bobby Holmes. And those were fun interviews to do. Both of them, it will be their first time on the program. And so we're excited to bring those interviews to you. Both of them play into potential news for next year. So 
Uh, we'll be discussing those races on the next show when we have those interviews. So today we're going to focus on the super modified race and the super stock race. And then we also are going to have our usual conversation about the episode number. It's 84 and we're going to talk some Lichty and uh, a couple of others. Um, And then we're also going to give away a book. We are going to do a giveaway and this is going to tie into something else I want to discuss with you where we're basically kind of doing a soft launch on a concept, you know, so this, this giveaway that we're doing is going to become a weekly habit in general, not just for this show, but for my brand in general, there is a new brand. The social medias for the new brand have been launched. We're going to tie that to the book giveaway. We're going to tell you about it coming up later in the show. So a lot to talk about, a lot to cover here. I'm going to stop here. We're going to take a break. When we come back, you're going to hear from Dave Schulich. Then after that, you're going to hear from Jimmy Steffenhagen. Then after that, we will come back and we will have some discussion about several things. And we'll talk about... Uh, the book giveaway, we'll talk about uh, the number 84 and super modified significance. We'll talk about uh, the new brand a little bit. Inside Groove, episode 84 continues right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Welcome back to Inside Groove, episode 84. Um, we have the 2021 Classic 65 winner, Dave Schillick Jr., joining us now. Uh, Dave, congratulations on your second International Classic victory. And for the longest time, I feel like you would have looked at me and laughed if I told you that there would be a time when I would say the second international classic victory, but you got two now. Yeah. I mean, maybe back in the day, I think, um, you know, you, you get a whole new respect for driving a good car when you've driven some cars that maybe weren't so good up there. Yeah. Um, so there maybe it was a day that, uh, would have said, you know, would have been surprised, but, um, but been fortunate to be in some really good cars here lately. And, uh, you know, that definitely opens up the possibility of, of winning a classic anytime. You really, uh, really have. That's for sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, this classic weekend. Um, I, I know that when we talked a couple of weeks ago, 
you and I discussed that you thought maybe there was uh, some potential for the tire rule to um, to to sort of play a little bit of havoc with some people's uh, classic strategy because uh, you know you're limited on tires and such. You had to start the race on the the, the scuff that you qualified on. So um, the first thing I'm curious about is. In your mind, in terms of your strategy, um, how valid did that, that that concern end up being? Did you kind of tweak your strategy, and how did the tire situation play into how you raced the event? Um, well, it maybe I mean it just it, it influenced our strategy a little bit. Certainly, we uh, we ended up putting a second set of heat cycles on the car, uh, or on the tires that is, and uh, just so we could get an idea of size because. Really didn't feel like the, the the qualifying run, just a few qualifying laps that we had, yeah, were really a good indication of yeah. what the tires were going to do. So, um, you know, I know uh, Tyler didn't go out as fast as he normally does. Um, so I don't know if that influenced what he did or not. Um, I'm really not sure. Um, and I know um, I paid some attention to what came out of the tire trailer, and who had what chalk mark and things like that. And, yeah. Um, it was interesting to see some sizes that people were running and, um, and what they chose, what direction to go in. So, um, you know, how, how it influenced other people, I really can't say, but we, we played it somewhat conservative, so we made sure we recovered for the race. Having seen that now, um, I mean, is it reasonable that you could almost keep the tire rule exactly the same way that it was? I mean, uh, that, it, that it was this year? Uh, because it, it didn't seem to me like it uh, really had a – um, a drastic effect on anybody's performance. Yeah, I mean, most certainly they could. Um, they could keep it that way or, or, you know, how or go back to the way it was. I mean, one of the tweaks I think they could potentially make is we were allowed to buy two sets of tires, um, and it could let us run either one of those set of tires instead of just the ones we qualify on because if you're going to buy two sets anyway, what's the difference if you, fall, or you run the race on one set and qualify on another? Yeah. Um, it doesn't really save you any money at that point. So, that certainly is one of the one of the tweaks they could make um, for next year and going forward. But you know, who knows what they'll do, and uh, we'll just play yeah. by whatever rules we uh, have to play by. So um, this race was really fun to watch because um, I was I was a little surprised that Otto got the jump at the start, and um, I it, at first it was like. I wonder if Dave's just content to kind of let Otto, you know, go and, and do his thing. And then I got thinking, well, you know, whether or not that might be the case, um, this if Otto is kind of looking at this as a swan song, perhaps, then, you know, he may want to go out and, and you know, be the rabbit for a change because normally that is not Otto's strategy. Um, and so I was, I was curious to see how it would play out and obviously went a good bit and then you – made the pass uh, down the back straight into three and pretty much were gone after that. So um, talk about your strategy from the beginning. Was that kind of the plan to let Otto go and get out front and do, and, and maybe, you know, push him just hard enough to burn the tires off? Or, I mean, what was, what was your strategy, um, you know, in the earlier part of the race? Um, I really did put a lot of thought into strategy and, you know, maybe thought about changing a few things up. And sometimes your best plan that goes the way, goes by the wayside early on, depending yeah. on how the race goes. And me and Otto did talk prior to the start of the race. I knew he was going to roll, uh, try to roll the outside on the start and try to get a good, good jump. 
So I knew that prior going into the race, and uh, he did get a good start. He did. And it's hard yeah. to come off the bottom and really accelerate hard um, with that much fuel. So he had a good start, and I pretty much just let him go at that point because he was going to get the spot anyway. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, then I set in behind him. I think the thing that did surprise me is the pace he was setting early. Yes. Yeah. Um, was a little quicker than I necessarily wanted to go, so I let him on that first stint, I let him get away um, a little bit there. And then um, and then as the run went on, he started to slow himself down a little bit, and I was to the point where I was picking the pace up a titch. Yeah. So I was able to stay on his back bumper uh, much better about 40 or 50 laps into the run. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I, I kind of knew going in I wanted to get in front of him, um, and just really from an aspect of I wanted to control the pace of the race instead of okay. letting him control it. Um, getting late in the race, it's a lot harder to make a pass on somebody like that than it is early on. So I figured around, you know, when I got the opportunity, I was going to go for it. And it presented itself um, right around, I think, lap 50 or 60. Yeah. Um, I think it was around lap 60. Um, he was starting to slow the race pace down a little bit. I come off the turn and had a good run, and then I just said, I'm going to – we're going to take it now while I can and then just let the rest of the race play itself out. And, uh, you know, I had, I had a really good car, um, for sure. I had a really good car, uh, back in 2019 when Tyler won. And, uh, earlier this year in the class, if we didn't have quite as good a car, but we were, we were good. We just weren't quite as good. And I think it taught me something about what the car wanted in the 200 and what we could do better. Okay. So this year and the second race, um, it definitely, we were, we were, we were really, really good. Yeah. It looked it because what was interesting to me is that, you know, auto auto led that first, you know, 50, 60 laps, whatever it was. And you were in second and you really, nobody really challenged you all that hard um, you know, for the spot, it was kind of like it was almost meant to be like you just kind of knew if I could just keep him within striking distance that, you know, it, the the race would eventually come to me if I just didn't get, you know, get impatient or do anything silly. Um, and that that looks looked like exactly how it played out once you were ready to go. Like you said, he was slowing a bit. So it, it just kind of all played right into your hands. Yeah, I think one of the things, the race pace in general, um, and maybe it's because Otto was setting that little bit quicker of a pace, yeah. was definitely faster yes. um, this year than it was in earlier in the year. So early in the year, we were running around 18 seconds yep. early in the race, and I think we were in the 17th all the entire race this year. Pretty much. Or this uh, this late in the race, so or this late season race. Yeah. Um, so it definitely was a quicker pace. Um, so I don't know if it gave as much opportunity for guys to jump up to the front and move around as much just because of that pace. And then it also played into, I was a little more concerned about fuel late in the race. I was making sure I saved enough as far as, you know, not using all the throttle and trimming the switches and things like that, that I can do inside the car to try to save fuel because, you know, when the race pace is quicker, you do consume more fuel. Sure. So that was also yeah. a consideration. I was wondering about that. I was going to get to that because that's one of the things I, I had to have some bullets here. That's one of the bullets I had was, was there any question ever in your mind um, about the fuel situation? Because, um, you know, obviously when you and, – and I feel like we had a, a pretty good bunch of green flag laps for, for the race. Um, and, and it kind of felt to me like at the end, I wonder if some of these guys are a little nervous, but you didn't seem to slow down. So it was kind of like, well, you know, um, he has to be pretty comfortable. 
Yeah, I mean, I was always, I mean, I'm always concerned about fuel because once it bites you, you're yeah. you've always got it in the back. Well, that's of your head, why you know? I wanted to bring it up because, um, I, yeah, know, so I mean, I was, of course, I was thinking about it. Um, I will say that during the race, um, I most of the time was not full throttle down the straightaway, so I was able to save uh, a decent amount of fuel down okay. the straightaways and then used it when I needed to use it, but then I would return back to partial throttle down yeah. the straightaway. So it wasn't like a all-out sprint at any point in the race for me. So it was, um, you know, I, I was able to save what I could. Yeah. So were you, were you surprised once you got out front that nobody challenged you basically the rest of the race for the most part? Um, no. I mean, I was getting hand signals down in one and two. Uh, B.O., Brian Osetic, uh, Chris's brother is my <laughs> guy who gives me hand signals. So um, I kind of knew where everybody was at that point. It, it, so when I would get some get a challenger or somebody would draw in close, like Otto would draw in to the back bumper, I would lengthen it back out. And then he would draw in, and then yeah. I would lengthen it back out. And I just kind of did that the entire race. So what it allowed me to do is save enough tire right. on some of those laps and then use it when I needed to so I wasn't, you know, beating it up. Similar to what Tyler does, but it wasn't maybe to the extent of what <laughs> yeah, Tyler no, did. no, it wasn't nearly as drastic as what Tyler did uh, in yeah. 19. That was – that was insane. Uh, and, and uh, you, you know, yeah, it was kind of like Otto would get close. But, I mean, I was watching it. I just never felt like even when Otto would get to you, I never felt like that was really anything. You, you know, like I'm like, well, Dave's just, you know, he's just kind of cruising. And it was like exactly what you said, watching the lead stretch back out. And, then, you know, so um, it's kind of interesting how, you know, these last few classics, that's kind of been – um available i'm not sure back in the day any of the classics were ever really like that i think once a driver got out in the lead it just always seemed like he either kept going or he you know um or people would catch him because the tires were out or whatever the case or traffic but you just had the perfect circumstance where you could really like you said control um the pace of the race and you know and never have um, what you might call a really serious threat of somebody that kind of pushed you beyond where you wanted to go at any point. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that's dictated by the car you have. And we had yeah. a really awesome race car. I mean, sure we had did. a car that um, was really fast. So, I mean, I was able to know that it was solidly underneath me. And um, barring anything that, you know, where the car just goes away all at one time, um, I kind of felt comfortable that I could run this pace most of the race. You know right. what I mean? I knew, you know, always in the last 50 25, 50 laps, you're always going to have a car that starts to get loose and right. you're kind of, you know, manhandling it a little bit. But, um, it, you know, I, I knew I had a car that could go the distance with what I was doing. So, um, you know, I used it. I know when Connors got, when I saw on the board, Connors moved in a second, I yeah. was getting close hand signals from, uh, from BO. Yeah. So at that point, even if, even if you watch flow vision, I, I lengthened it out pretty good right yes. there. I, I started picking the pace up. I think I ran some, 16 7 16 eights to to really yeah. lengthen the the distance out and then i seen auto flash back up on the board again and then i was getting a farther hand signal so then i slowed it back down again so um you know it, it, it there's a lot that goes on to it and bo did an outstanding job of giving me the signals that i needed to uh to to make that determination inside the car so speaking of brian and and, and chris um i was really excited to see you know when when uh you were doing the interview after the race that you were so excited for them because um 
that's what I was thinking. As as the laps wound down, I thought, wow, okay, so this is Dave's second win, and that's awesome, of course. And, you know, I'm happy for him, but, oh, my gosh, Chris Osetic, Brian Osetic, that whole team, um, you know, the, the time and the effort and the money that they put in, um, and Chris, you know, building the cars and doing it all, you know, I mean, um, it, it not like you're buying hot chassis, you know, he's, he's building them, designing them, building them, um, you know, and people can say what they want about wind tunnel this or wind tunnel that, but, yeah. um, you know, you got to know what to do with those tools when you have them. And, um, the fact is it's still a home built car. Um, and not everybody could, you know, build a car, go to a wind tunnel and figure it out. And it took Chris a couple of times to do that. Right. So, um, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, they've worked really hard. I was so excited to see you get a classic for those guys. I really was hoping that Keith would be able to get up and and uh, and, and and have a good finish as well. And and unfortunately, I think I'm not sure what happened to him, but I know he he, he didn't finish. But um, you know, it uh, you know, it was great to see those guys get a win because, like I said, they work awfully, awfully hard. Yeah, I mean, they're um, they work very closely together. You know, Chris is down in North Carolina, and Brian's yeah. up here mm-hmm. doing the maintenance yeah, on the Chris car. Is down here with me. You know, there's a lot of back and forth that goes on, shifting parts back and forth, and and I don't think anybody really understands. I mean, some people may do, but the amount of work that Chris puts into this, and you know, it started all back, you know, back at the end of last year, actually 2019. Um, we really started getting a handle on the car, specifically in race trim, towards yeah. the end of the season, and that gave us a lot, a, a really good baseline. And then we continued to build on the card. And if people remember, we practiced twice last year. Yeah. And we hit on a couple things on the car in practice, which are in the car today. So it's just been this evolution of things that we've learned on the car and put effort into and not just said, hey, we're fast. We're not, we're going to go to the racetrack and we're going to be good. We've continued to work at it. And Chris has continued to work at it. And B.O. puts in the hours in the garage, even yep. though he's got a brand-new baby. So, you know, the, the team has really done everything that they've done um, through hard work, and they've never denied me anything. I mean, anything that I've said, hey, um, you know, we need to get this or we need to do this. And Chris has never said, no, we can't do that. Um, he's always like, you think we need another set of tires, buy another set of tires. Do whatever you need to do to, yeah. to, to be competitive. And, um, you know, we've uh, we've proven that, you know, it's, it's a it's – a, it's a, top-notch operation it's a top-notch team and i think there's still room for improvement there so i mean i don't think we've reached our full potential yet so i'm excited to see what next year holds and beyond for sure <laughs> oh my gosh 15.5 15.4 how fast can we go dave how fast can we go on uh, with 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 the tail i was going to say without the wing but i can't say that anymore because people get mad uh, how fast can we go with the tail wing um without the top wing on the car what do you think uh, how fast can we push it you know, it's really hard to say. You know, <laughs> rules change. Um, what you know, there, there, there's some discussions oh, of not. things that they're going to potentially change for next <laughs> oh, year. Gosh. Um, whatever that is, we'll just keep working on it. <laughs> and really, it's not about speed; it's about balance, front to rear. Oh, and, and then you have balance in, in the daylight. You have balance at nighttime. Um, you know, one of the things that you know, these cars don't carry a lot of drag because there's not a lot of wing back there, so they go really, really fast down the straightaways. So. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's hard to say how fast they could go. I mean, that was a really, really awesome lap, and I think it'll stand for a while, but you never know. People people get better every single day, and, uh, you know, records are meant to be broken. So um, you never know how long it stands, but, um, you know, that, that definitely was a good lap this year. What I, What is it like to run 15-6? 
at, at, in the super modified at the Oswego Speedway. I mean, I, as a fan, you know, I mean, I, I started going in 1973. So I remember when Jimmy Champagne became the first driver under 18. And um, that was in, I think, officially, I think in 77 or 8 or somewhere in that area. And then, you know, Bentley was, I think, the first one to 69. And then, you know, here, here we are uh, all these years later and 15-6, it's like I can't even begin to comprehend. At, at that speed, Dave, when you're driving, I mean, are you comfortable? Is this, like, still, are you still confident and in control? And, and is the car, or are you kind of, do you know you're on the edge? I mean, what is that like to run that kind of speed? Uh, I mean, most certainly. I mean, I'm comfortable. I mean, there's... I've said this before. I've had cars that are not comfortable to drive, and you think you're going a million miles an hour, yeah. and you're actually slow. And I've had cars that have been super comfortable to drive, and you're out there thinking you're just going along, and you're wicked fast. I mean, it's just um, – and then this car is very comfortable to drive. I mean, it just um, – oh, you know, wait. it turns well, has great, you know, traction off the turn, and you can really pick the throttle up. And, again, when you're turning a lap like that, it's all about getting the stagger right. It's about – you know, all those adjustments you make before you go out, you know, does the car get loose on acceleration? Does the car push in the middle of the turn? You know, it's got, it's got to track the center of the corner really good and, and change directions. And, um, you know, that, that changes from time trial run to time trial run. If you, if you get to just get that set up, right. So that's what I said. It's, you know, it, the, the, the record will depend on does somebody hit that perfect setup. Do they have the speed to do it? So, you know, we'll see how long it lasts. Gosh, I just can't imagine a lap any faster than a six. I just can't. It's incredible. I mean, and and then people say, well, they really should repave the track. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, if you ever repave that thing. I mean, you're a driver. If, if you repave the track and you do it right, how much speed do you pick up? Well, I mean, it depends. It really depends. I mean, Sandusky – they paved it, and the car slowed down for a couple of years, and then it got faster once it wore the surface off. Um, okay. You know, and it, it can be harder on tires, so it may impact the classics. So, I mean, I certainly wouldn't pave it at this point. I mean, oh, you I know, if it was an opportunity to, just... you may take it. But, I mean, I, I don't know if paving it, it should be top priority. Um, you know, it would definitely change the um, – Change the racing at Oswego for sure. Yeah, it would. I mean, and and it, it, like you said, it could go one way or the other. I feel like when Thompson repaved, it got faster. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I guess you know it probably could go either way. And I'm not. I'm certainly not pushing for that. I was just saying that you keep hearing that conversation, and I think about Thompson, and I'm like. I don't know if I want them going any faster in a swing. It's like I think we're already fast enough, um, maybe a little too fast, uh, and and uh, you know, and and without having to go any quicker. But it it is pretty amazing. So, um, I would kind of assume that we're going to see. Uh, Dave and, and Chris and, and Team Ninety Five, uh, Brian and, and the gang, back again in twenty twenty two, but. Yes or no? Are you coming back? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I, awesome. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing up there. My family has a great time up there, and uh, that's what's most important to me is that we're, you know, we're enjoying what we do. And um, you know, I'm, I, I can foresee myself. I foresee myself being up in Oswego for a very long time. And uh, you know, I'm just <laughs> kind of over the traveling to different tracks things. And I know Otto's going a different direction with wanting to run the and stuff. And sure. I'm kind of in a different career path, so to speak, and uh, want to stay at Oswego. So 
um, you know, I'll be there for the foreseeable future. Maybe even uh, when my days are done, I'll be retiring from there. So I don't, uh, I don't see myself going back to Ismo full time at least at this point. And there's a number of drivers and team owners that just cringed. Um, so uh, that's <laughs> just what you want, right? Um, well, that's awesome. I mean, that, it, it was a, it was a great weekend for you, obviously. And um, you did say that perhaps maybe one or two of the Isma shows, maybe before the end of the year for you, or no? Nope, I'm all done. You're done. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I decided that after Classic, I'm going to be uh, done for the year and looking forward to watching some football, which gets started tonight. And uh, oh, that's you know, right. Yeah. Back and um, <laughs> just being around the house and enjoying uh, some things around here. So, which, you know, we do a lot of traveling during the year where we drive back and forth six hours to Oswego every weekend. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it does take a toll. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to enjoy the rest of the summer. Okay. So I, um, I often, for some inexplicable reason i often forget to do this on this show with drivers i interview and i don't know why but i i'm remembering it so i'm going to do it um before we let you go who helps you make all this happen because obviously i know you got you got car owner crew you got sponsors talk about uh who helps uh dave Schillick jr make classic wins happen yeah i think um first and foremost chris osetic and brian osetic um, for all the work that they put in, everything that they do um, to get the car to the racetrack, the effort that they put in, the thinking and the, you know, the ingenuity and the, the ideas, the good ones and the bad ones, you know, that we you have to go through throughout the season. Um, the entire crew um, that, that shows up to the racetrack, we have an outstanding bunch of people that show up and, uh, you know, put in their best effort. And, we, you know, we have a great time with them for sure. Um, TJ Toyota at close, um, we couldn't do it without him. He is a tremendous partner, sponsor, friend. Um, he is a, an outstanding human being. Um, Jim Michaels engines, Jim builds a hell of an engine and give us an engine this year that, uh, you know, was really a driver's best friend. So, uh, we're very fortunate to have him as an engine builder. Um, Holiday End uh, uh, Express of Oswego came on board this year. Oh. Um, we're excited to have them as a sponsor. Uh, Cam's Pizzeria. Um, who else? I'm trying to think of. I'm missing anybody that, you know, was, uh, was a huge part. Uh, oh, and, and Clyde Booth as well. Clyde, I know, is a huge <laughs> uh, mentor to Chris and, uh, you know, pre- very appreciative of Clyde and all his um, support that he's given us this year and, and, and beyond. He has done a thing or two, that's for sure. Uh, and, uh, Dave, congratulations. Dave Schillick, you're winner of the 65th running of the Budweiser International Classic, his second classic win at the Oswego Speedway. Thanks for being on the show, and uh, have a safe and uh, happy holiday season and winter, and uh, look forward to seeing you uh, back on, on uh, back in the car for uh, spring of 2022. We'll be there. That's Dave Schillick, back with more to groove after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here in Inside Groove, Indy Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter. If you've got something that you need designed or fabricated, let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution. 
They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove sent you. Welcome back to Inside Groove, the long-awaited episode 84, the winner uh, back to back to back now winner of the Dave London Memorial, Jimmy Steffenhagen. And, um, uh, Jimmy, it's good to have you on the show. Uh, I think the first, uh, super stock driver I've had a chance unless we count Griffin Miller, who's now a small block racer to swiggle, but, um, first super stock driver I had a chance to interview, happy to do it and happy to, uh, be able to talk about, I'm going to say back-to-back at Oswego, but, of course, you won the last Spencer edition of the Dave London Memorial as well. Um, so, first of all, welcome to the show, and let's talk about this year uh, a little bit, shall we, um, and the race this year. I was hoping that we would see more cars this year than we saw last year, and I was hoping that we would see some new faces up front, not to say I was hoping you wouldn't win at all, because I'm happy that you did, but just to <laughs> say that, that for me as a, you know, as a, as a guy who covers it, you just like to uh, see some different names in and out, and um, we did actually see that, and yet here you are having won two in a row, um, so much family history here, but first of all, just talk about that race. Congratulations on the win and give us some, uh, give us some thoughts on the classic weekend 65 and Dave, Dave London Memorial Oswego too. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We love going to Oswego. Obviously it's the fastest track around for us. And, um, you know, we went in, we didn't have a, a whole lot of expectations to be honest with you and not real high hopes because we had struggled for the first part of the year. We had some electrical issues and um, some setup issues that we had been chasing. Okay. And so, you know, we, um, you know, we unloaded up there and, and uh, we went out for practice. And I knew on the second lap of practice that we were good for the day because I looked up at the board. We were at the top and I was actually scuffing tires. And uh, I think we turned the fastest lap of the day in practice anyways. And um, and that was on the first uh, few laps of practice with just scuffing tires you know, it's been uh, it was a tough year for us. A lot of struggles in getting the car going, like I say. And um, you know, we were happy, obviously, to pull it off. Uh, the young guys are definitely coming up strong. I'll tell they you, are. Evan Evan Rogalski. Uh, you know, he's super quick. Garrett Zachariah, super quick. You know, there's something to be said there for sure. But yeah, we got we got uh, we did what we needed to do up there, which was great. Everything came together. All the issues that we had kind of faded out. And we were able to go to the top of the board, and we're happy to, to win another one at Oswego. It's, it's kind of a surreal feeling to know that there's so many cars that go up there, you know, every year that are trying to make this race, just trying to get into the show. And, you know, to take two in a row is amazing. Years ago, when I started going to Oswego in the um, earlier 70s, I started in 73, and I remember classic weekends back then because obviously we used to get about 55, 60 supers, but then we also would have up to even 80 modifieds that would come in for the, the modified 200. And um, we've, we've lost all of that for those two divisions. We're lucky to get 30 at this point. 
for those two classes for Classic Weekend for various reasons. Um, but so when when the Super Stock race was scheduled uh, in nineteen, which was actually the first one because we didn't we didn't race last year when when that race was scheduled uh, and and Jody started talking about you know, 40 to 50 cars, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great because the, the seeing the field of super stocks for this race um, kind of makes me, you know, reflect back to those days when it was the modifieds that you'd see in huge numbers parked outside the track, you know, on Saturday afternoon waiting to race. Of course, you guys were on a Friday. But, I'm, um, you know, the, the idea that... Um, this it's this big event this is a you know there was always the feeling with a modified race for me that these guys that were coming you know you had a dozen or so that you figured one of these 12 is probably going to win but then you had all these other guys coming in and this was a really really extra big race for them now you just said that oswego is the fastest track that you race at so when you come to Oswego, is there that feeling for you and your fellow street super stock, I keep calling it street stocks, super stock racers, um, that this is like the biggest race you run? Is this sort of, is this kind of the, the, the classic race for you uh, of all the races that you run during the season? And what's it like to race on a track the size of Oswego for you guys? Oh, without a doubt. It's definitely our biggest race of the year at the Dave London uh, for the past, you know, 13 years. It's really taken, you know, the last uh, 10 years of the 13 years have really taken off. And, um, you know, it was at uh, Spencer, I think. I don't know if it was at any other tracks. But then they switched it to Oswego, which was yeah. amazing because we always look forward to uh, the race of champions back when it was in Oswego. Yeah, and it was right. kind of the yeah. Wild West. There wasn't, you know, there were so many different variations of rules, and they were trying to pull cars, which was great because it was an open show. Yeah. But now it has that feeling like, okay, we're all on the same page. We're all going up there. And I think that's why we pull so many cars is because really – there's at any at any given time at any of our races, you know, you've got ten or fifteen cars that can win. Okay. At a Swigo, when you've got fifty cars that show up, I mean, there's there's twenty cars that can win that race, if not, however many cars start right. the race based on how many wrecks there are. Yeah. And because uh, a Swigo is so fast, you know, it's pretty intimidating to a new guy. I remember my first time out there, that boilerplate. And I'm telling you. I was just telling my wife, I said, it's not smooth all the way around. No. It goes in and out, and that's from everybody who's destroyed, you know, race cars running up at us. For we sure. go. I just yeah. absolutely love it. Yeah, it's, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I just, it's that feeling when you see all those cars in the pits. I mean, I, there was just so much energy, I thought, in 19. And, and again, I didn't get to see um, this year's, but... Um, other than on the broadcasting, you can't. That's the one thing the video doesn't give you is you, you're not there in person. You're not feeding off everybody else's energy. Um, there's no way that that watching on TV can can sort of replicate that, um, especially if you're you know watching by yourself. But right. I think the, the the thing for me, um, just watching that race and even um, the race that that w- that happened earlier in the year. Um, you know, you guys, when you go up there, like, I, I mean, you, it, it just feels like it's, it's just, 
you you really it, it's it's it it means something to win. I guess is where I'm going, and you've been able to do this twice. So how? How are you able to, um, because as you said, lots of wrecks, um, lots of fender banging and back and forth racing and all of that. Um, how have you been able to pull this off twice? What's your secret sauce to, to being able to, to be in victory lane at the end of this? Because, I mean, I, I, I'm nothing but the highest respect because I know how hard it is to win anything <laughs> on a track like a Swigo, let alone come in with 48 other cars or whatever. I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, there's really no secret to it. I, you know, we, you know, obviously you need to work on the car and make sure it's right, and you know, make sure all all cylinders are firing as they're supposed to, and you know, just have a good crew and a good group of people behind you. My my biggest thing with any race of that, you know, of 75 laps, obviously any extra distance races, to tell people, you know, you got to ride it out. You got to ride out that first 20 or 30 laps, and, and the key to winning at Oswego is to finish. Right. You know, exactly. as with any race. But, you know, getting a good draw uh, really can make all the difference, and finishing well enough to make the redraw in your heat race is super important. What type – how does the racing change for you as a driver in, in, in Oswego versus the typical – I mean, obviously, I know it's a lot longer, but, I mean, I guess I'm just asking about track size because you do run on a lot of um, – Fairly decent-sized tracks, but but none of them as big as Oswego. How do you approach that as a driver differently, even just, you know, driving the car during the race? Well, you know, it's it's funny because it's a lot like Shimung with the exception of the speed. And, um, you know, because Shimung has, has a similar um, uh, sort of banking. I shouldn't say amount, but a similar sort of banking. Yeah. Um, but on Oswego, I actually learned how to how to drive Oswego years ago because I had lost a uh, spindle and we had to pinch off the brake line. When they pinched off the brake line, we picked up a half a second on the track. We picked up that half a second because the car didn't have any brakes. <laughs> so you didn't realize wow. how little brake you need to be using at Oswego. And I kind of try to tell a couple of the new guys, hey, listen, it's intimidating, but you're just going to touch that brake pedal for a second just to get the car slowed up enough for it to take a set. Let the banking take the uh, momentum out of the car, and I, I, I know it's it's easier said than done, but I'm so used to it now. You know, I'm I'm barely on the brake at all up there anymore. It's strange for me to think about because I've been. I mean, I started going in '73. I don't hear like in super modified lingo. You don't hear the banking being like I think of Oswego as being a relatively low banking as compared to you know some of the other tracks that I've been to, and yet you know you're talking about the banking as sort of um, a part of your driving style, and um, it's just uh, not something I hear talked about much when it comes to Oswego. You got to remember, I'm a Spencer guy, so <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah. no banking. Paper clip, yeah. So as far as the banking goes, you know, that's you know that's Daytona <laughs> to Martinsville. Fair enough. To what I'm used to. <laughs> so maybe maybe I'm just not. I haven't run that many tracks, or maybe I just haven't noticed. But I, I absolutely love it. I think it has a lot to do with the rubber that the super modifieds lay down too. You know, obviously, but there is so much bite in that track. It's just so much fun to drive, and there's so many. Uh, racing, you know, the two or three yeah. racing groups sometimes. but um, That's awesome. Know. Yeah, and I, I, I know Shimug well. I had a chance to uh, work for, for Bob Stapleton in 2002, I think. Yeah, 2002. Well, announced uh, Lego 1 and promoted and announced in 2002 for him. And uh, 
I just love that place. I absolutely love that place. And, uh, yeah, I mean, New York State between, and I hate that Spencer has kind of gone through what it's gone through, and I think um, Holland has had their issues, and uh, Lancaster, I know, has really come back strong. Um, you know, just uh, you got Evans Mills, just some really awesome tracks, and, and um, but happy to see you guys uh, racing at Oswego. Um, for Classic Weekend, and, and you, you certainly, I think, add a great deal to the weekend. Let's talk about um, your family history for a bit, because uh, you told me earlier you are basically a third-generation racer, and I was talking about how I remember Ed Steffenhagen from back in the day, and he was your father, I guess he'd be your great-uncle, Right? Is that uh, right. father's uncle? Yep. Um, I think O uh, two maybe was the car number. If I remember right, I could be wrong. O three. O three. Okay, O3. Well, I knew it was a zero. O three. Okay. Um, so what, talk about your family history a little bit and what what you remember about you know your childhood, and of course, in your earliest memories of racing, and what got you fired up about it. Well, I know that my um, my grandfather raised. Uh, I don't know to what extent because it's not quite something that was uh, quite as prominent as uh, IDS racing. Uh, I live in Fairport, which oh. is uh, where the race car was, and I had always wanted okay. to live in Fairport because I spent, you know, most of my free time over with those guys in that dirt floor shop, you know, building that modified, building those 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 sort of cars, and you know, I just remember the open trail or the. Uh, uh, the ramp over trailer, the big ramp truck that they used to have and going to Spencer and, and Lancaster with those guys as a kid. And, you know, it was one of the, some of the best memories I have. And then my dad obviously raced and my mother raced uh, for a little while, but, you know, it was always a lot of fun. And I know, you know, they always, uh, you know, they weren't always at the top. I don't know if any of them ever actually pulled off a feature win, but I think, oh wow, you know, that's a lot of uh, what drives me. You know, when I first started out, I, I ran for two or three years, you know, getting lapped and stuff like that. And, you know, you kind of learn from that. And I always, it always gave me a lot of drive. And, um, you know, having my dad with me and, you know, seeing what he can do to a car, you know, my abilities in the car to put it up front, it really means a lot. You know, I don't think <laughs> I'd don't think i have nearly as much fun if it wasn't for my crew guys and my dad and his girlfriend, Debbie, especially. You know, they make it so much fun. And, you know, like I said, we're not like one of those just spend whatever it takes kind of teams either. You know, they kind of do it with what they have and what we have. And we've been really lucky over the years. And, um, you know, because of it, like I said, growing up and watching those guys do it and, and just the camaraderie amongst the other teams and spending time with, with my dad, my uncle, you know, really makes all the difference. I don't think, I, you know, winning's fun, obviously, but it's just a byproduct of, of all the years of trial and error. You know, it yeah. makes it a lot more fun, obviously, to take home the big ones but i think i would still do it i'll be a fan long after i'm a driver too i'm absolutely in love with racing see i think that's the you know i uh and i try to i mean i work with younger drivers and i also have, have um helped some younger journalists come up through and get started and all of that and it's like you know i try to i try to explain to them the history of the sport and um that you know if you're if you're in this to make a lot of money get out go do something else because 
this isn't that. It's not that type of a deal. You gotta if you don't have the passion for it, if you're not on fire for 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 racing and especially short track racing, um, then you, you really need to go do something different. And that's I in in a class like the super stocks, and I see the Swigo in especially in the in the um, SBS class and in the three fifties and you know a little bit in the in the big blocks, but the big blocks just cost so much it becomes more kind of more business-like over there. But um, I in a class like the Super Stocks, I just, you see that passion and that camaraderie like you talked about, and it's like everybody's there and having a good time. And, you know, if you win, fantastic. That's obviously, if you didn't, you know, at least hope you can win, you probably wouldn't go, or at least most people probably wouldn't. But, um, you know, it's almost secondary to having a good time. And, and that's, that's the kind of thing I see at the local tracks, and I love that about the Superstock class, and it kind of looks like that to me when I wander through the pits in a race where you guys are running. Um, you know, everybody's just kind of having a good time, and, and, I mean, yeah, working on the cars, but it, there's just an atmosphere there. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that's that's the name of the game is to have fun. You know, you're always going to have some guys that show up and, you know, think they're you know gonna outspend you to outrun you yeah and that's usually not the way it goes thankfully with the superstars because they're not they're not quite a throw money at it until it goes kind of deal they can be you know obviously and, and, you know you always like to see people more people come in but it, you know we could sell out after a little while you know you got you know a year here and there where there'll be somebody that you know goes and sets the world on fire he's yeah. gonna be the next big shot and then uh you know, he gets busted with an illegal crank or something, and you never see uh, him again. That kind of thing, yeah. really. That's what gets me going. I love that more than anything. I, 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 I hate to be that way, but I really love seeing that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I love see. I love to see the the big money uh, get bounced. It really makes me smile. Well, I mean, I think in a sense we all kind of because look, it's sort of uh, you want people. You want people to play by the rules. You want people to, to, to do this honestly. You want them to, you know, and, and not everybody does. People try to get away with things, and, you know, people call it innovation or whatever, and it's like, um, no, if you're cheating, you're cheating. And that's there's no other way to label it. You're cheating, and I love when cheaters get caught because that's really what, you know. And um, so, I, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those situations, especially in a class like yours, um, nobody's winning a million dollars here. And, and uh, you know, Rick Hendrick and Joe Gibbs aren't scouting super stocks. Absolutely right? not. I mean, it's, it, you know, um, go and have fun and do the best you can. Um, I want to talk about, I want to ask you, do you, what's been kind of, um, I know I look at the modified class. I look at the super modified class. I look at weight models down here in the South. Um, and, the sort of evolution of the class from, you know, uh, over the last 30, 40 years, to me, it seems like the super stock class hasn't changed all that much. And yet, of course, you know, I don't work on them. I don't see them a lot of times without the body. So um, what is your kind of impression of of the super stock class since you started racing because you've been doing it a while um you know have we have we really evolved these things because like sprint cars are still basically the same you know midgets right. basically the same you know but what what's what's true with the uh, super stock class you know over the years I, i've been i you know going back to to your initial question but anyway so uh 
the street stack slash super stack is all, you know, for the most part, with some tweaks to the rules, been the same since I started raising them in about, you know, 2001. So, you know, we've been in the class the entire time, basically. We've yeah. had stints of having a modified here and there, or trying to dirt sports, and we always come back to this just because I've always loved full fender cars, and because of right. kind of the state of racing in New York, um, the super stock is as close as you're going to get to a full fender car without going to a late model class where they're pulling you know, 10 or 12 cars or moving down right. south, <laughs> which is unfortunately well, not an option for us with family. And, you know, obviously yeah. my wife has a job and me too, obviously. So, but, um, you know, over the years, not a lot's changed. My favorite um, change, to be honest, is has a lot to do with safety. I like the way that the um, they've gotten away from the stock firewalls and gone to, like, the foot boxes, which people didn't agree with. Uh, you know, initially, but it's not a huge expense. If anything, it's probably saving you money in the long run. Right. Um, just small changes. I uh, actually just just sold the car that I won the last three Dave London Memorials with yesterday. Oh, wow. And I'm actually in the process of buying a new car, which is a Johnson chassis, which is a copy of a metric car, basically. Um all the same weights and uh, parameters as a metric car, but with a new uh, tube chassis, which I'm really looking forward to just because, you know, years and years of running these stamp chassis, it just ends up being the same old stuff. They bend and, you know, you only get, you know, a handful of years out of them before you really need to start thinking about building a new one. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty excited to see what this will bring. So let's talk a little bit about then going forward. You've got your brand new car that you're going to be running um, is that going to be radically different from the car that you have now in terms of how you're going to need to drive it? And uh, how much different is it going to look to the average fan? Probably not that much, I would assume. Uh, no, it's basically the same, the same body-ish style, which is the um, Chevy SS or Chevy, Chevy Camaro, you know, the more late model, you know, quote, style bodies. Um uh, it'll be similarly lettered, <laughs> but it'll, it'll look pretty much the same. Okay. I've run the same setup the past, honestly, seven years, I think. Okay. Same four types of sprains, with the only difference being that um, I have a guy who does my shocks now. He's a great guy, uh, David Ceresi. He owns uh, Eagle One Shocks, and he's just been a lot of help over the past couple of years. I think yeah, I, lo- I owe a lot of my success to him and his uh, shock program. And, you know, really affordable uh, you're not spending anything more than what you'd normally spend ordering them out of the catalog, which is great. Um, the the series has done a great job in keeping, and it shows, you know, in keeping the uh, the playing field level. I was going to ask that. With the, the new style chassis you can run in the old style, they're very uh, comparable. There's no advantage, in my opinion, either way to running a tube chassis versus a stamp chassis. There's not anybody out there setting the world on fire with the Johnson car. Uh, just same as with a you know a metric uh, frame. There's not a lot of you know there's a lot there's been a lot of winners. But anyways, back to what I meant, what I'm saying. The uh, the rule package has been so good, and it shows when you get 40 cars showing up to a race uh, like the Dave London Memorial, which you know Jody's done a great job with the person everything. Yeah, he has. It's been pretty awesome. I can't wait to get back out there next year. I hope it goes on forever because I love Oswego. Well, and that's, uh, you know, and Jody, you're right. He does it, and I just think the world of him, he is one of the hardest-working promoters I've ever seen in this sport. And, again, um, it's all about passion. He is so passionate and so excited about 
um, you know, what he's doing, not just the super stocks, but the other divisions that he promotes as well. Um, and, and, and people respond to that. And I think that's part of the reason he's so successful. Um, you mentioned shocks and springs and all of that. How much change do you have to make to your typical Saturday night, you know, Spencer, Holland, Lancaster, you know, whatever setup um, to, you know, to go race at Oswego and be successful? How much how much change do you make there? So it's going to depend on, on the night, but really the only change that I make between Spencer's kind of one of its own, you know, that's yeah. that's where it well, kind of yeah. is a lot different. But Lancaster, Shimong, all those, I run the same four springs and the same four shocks in the same oh, wow. four corners. The okay. only change that I make, obviously, would be the gear. Um, Shimong, right. you run a lot yeah. of higher gear. And then um, the, uh, the wedge is something that I have kind of dialed in for each individual track. Shimong has to go pretty close. Um, Spencer's a different ball game altogether, and um, but the other the other bank tracks like the Adirondack, I think the Adirondack is as close as I come to the exact setup as Oswego. I love which is kind of wild to think because I always see guys saying, hey, "What are you running for a spring? What are you running for a shotgun?" I run the same for every track, and I always get that kind of look like I don't believe you, but you know, <laughs> like a look. <laughs> yeah, really. It's like I don't care if you believe me or not. Go change. Exactly. Go it change yours. Me. I'll pass you on lap six. Um, you know, it's uh, that. Yeah, well, I love Adirondack, and and uh, there again, I mean, just uh, a really, really nice facility. Um, but yeah, you guys, it's just so much fun to watch you guys race there, and um, you know, it's uh, and it's a treat, and I like. I mean, I, for I know for a few years uh, they were running them every week, and that was all right. But I just feel like Oswego uh, is an open wheel track, and I feel like to bring. Um, you know that the, the the super stocks the the I love the the, the four cylinder cars were awesome compact cars. Um, you know the the modifieds obviously I'm very partial to sportsman mods. I hated that uh, that show didn't get to happen um, this year. But uh, you know, looking forward to to those guys coming back hopefully next year to Oswego too. Uh, but I think it's a real treat when you guys come on a big race weekend and bring all those cars with you. I used to love the race of champions for that reason because uh, you know you saw all of the the full fender divisions in one place uh, at the same time. So um, definitely a, a great time watching you and and you do a hell of a job behind the wheel. Uh, you know, just watching you the way that you 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 run and and uh, you know seem very smooth and consistent, and I know that you got to have a lot of people that go into helping you to be that way. So I want to give you a chance here before we get to what's coming up next year for you. I want to um, give you a chance to say thank you to whoever team sponsors. Um, you know, floor is yours. Take as long as you need. Sure. Yeah. No. It's uh, basically my dad and Debbie do all the. Uh weekly maintenance i've got uh, steve uh lansky who helps me out a ton at the track jim harder uh charlie coonrod uh my aunt linda and her husband timmy uh jim steingraber sean frey mike gleason um a lot of the guys that show up to the track that aren't necessarily around during the week that all have jobs um yeah. that are always there to help out which is awesome uh I, you know, Western Concrete, who's been with me for 10 years uh, as a sponsor and has been a huge help um, in making making this happen for us. 
Uh, MGM Insulation, who's a great sponsor, who we've had for a long time. Uh, my wife, Jenny, our two boys, Jack and Cole, which is a funny story by itself. They were actually supposed to be camping, but the, the site that we were going to in New York City got rained out. Oh, wow. They called us on our way there, so we beelined it right to Oswego. <laughs> and they actually got to be there for the second year in a row when, when I won at Oswego, which is awesome, because there was no plan of them being there. Nice. The schedule came out after uh, we booked our the camping trip for the weekend, so I was gotcha. actually driving them up to drop them off. It was kind of a crazy story. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing where you go from here. What is 2022 for you? I know you got the new Super Stock. Uh, what are your racing plans at this point with that car? So the plans for next year are a lot like this year. So we don't run for points typically. What we do is we try to hit all the big shows. Okay. Um, it didn't. The schedule didn't really work out for us to run any ROC shows this year. I took on a new role at my uh, job. So I wasn't able to do a lot of Friday night stuff. It's tough for me to kind of get out on time to be there on a Friday night. But I'd love to do, you know, a show or two at Spencer next year. I'd love to do um, the end of the year at Lake Erie. I want to do Oswego, obviously, um, try to go for another one there. And then a couple of shows at Shimon. And, that, and that's probably the extent of what we're doing. I just don't like running for points because it just gets to be, you know, toward the end of the year and you're stressed out over it. And I, I hear you. I'd rather go out there and race for wins. Yeah, it's more fun that way, I think. And you can feel free to travel around a little bit. It gives you some variety, go around some different tracks, uh, you know, and, and and do that kind of a kind of a schedule. Um, what do you do uh, uh, for work? Uh, what uh, what's life like off the track for you? Yeah, so I've been in uh, construction for a long time, construction specifically. I actually am the uh, dispatch supervisor for the Dolomite Group, which is uh, Manitou Concrete and Northrop Concrete and Cleason Concrete which we do a lot of upstate New York work, and it's, it's been kind of a crazy year. So, you know, taking that role over as the manager of the office was pretty tough to, uh, like I said, get out to those Friday shows. Yeah. And I'm hoping to get some staff in there so we can get out a little bit more and at least at least do one or two because you know, Spencer is my home track. It has been for a long time, and, and I think I'm tied for third all-time or something like that. Oh, wow. Like the best in the, in the full fender division. That's awesome. Well, uh, sounds like you uh, have a nice schedule planned uh, if everything works out and uh, uh, we have a good full season of racing. So uh, we look forward to that for you. And congratulations again on uh, basically hitting the triple. You uh, won the last one at Spencer and then the first two, Dave London Memorials at Oswego. Uh, and uh, great to be able to spend some time with you on the groove. And um, I'm sure we'll be talking again uh, as next season kind of gets underway. We want to kind of try to follow a little more the classes that come into Oswego so that the fans there will be a little more familiar with you guys, uh, you know, when you do come in and, and we'll know more about you all and all of that. So we're going to expand that a little bit going into 22. Um, so I'm sure we'll be talking to you again, and thanks for taking some time. Well, thank you for having me, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, yeah, Absolutely. Man. That's Jimmy Steffenhagen, and uh, we will be back right after this. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math or science person. No excuses. No problem. It's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Helping people start an IT career is their thing. 
If you don't absolutely love what you do, go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an information technology professional in as little as four months. Attend classes on campus or live online just two or three times a week to get what you'll need to start your new career. More than just a school, My Computer Career helps you get into the industry by working with hundreds of employers that hire their students. My Computer Career is nationally accredited and financial aid is available for those who qualify, including the GI Bill. Classes start soon, so go take the career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to Inside Groove. Our final segment gets underway now. We've got several topics to go through here, so I want to dive right in. Let's start with, first of all, the number 84. The The number 84 for me was uh, kind of interesting because I, when I started to think about the number, of course, the first name that comes to mind is Lichty because when I started going in 73, I think that was either the first year Brad raced or maybe he didn't start till 74. I can't remember, but he was the first driver that I remember with that number. Dennis ran his 48. That's That was Brad's brother. Dennis passed away a while back, but he ran his number 48. Um, but Dennis also did drive Brad's car a number of times. So, um, and, of course, Mike Lichty currently drives it and, and has raced it at Oswego. Dave McKnight raced it at Oswego. And Warren Conium was the other one. And I, I don't usually research this because um, I like to make my aging brain work with these. And, and so um, I always like when someone stumps me and comes up with something that I didn't think of or, you know, kind of one-ups me with this. That's kind of the point. I just, for me, it's just a way to get some comments and discussion going on about the show. Um, and it's fun to see what everybody comes up with, especially the the uh, the fans that are older than me that were around in the 60s, because I wasn't, obviously. <laughs> so uh, um, Brad, Dennis, and Mike were the three, then McKnight. And then I got to Conium, and I remember this night clearly, but I... I was compelled to go research the year because I couldn't remember what year it was. And I wanted to make sure that my memory wasn't screwed up to begin with because the the memory that I had was that the night that Warren drove the 84, Kempton Dates got into Lou Bannister's car and I was I I had it in my head that this happened on the same night that that these two guys hopped in these one-off rides. Well, I was right. And it was in 1979. And, um, I think that the way it worked, I don't know why Warren got in Brad's car. That part, I don't know. I couldn't find that information, but I, uh, Kempton, I think got into Lou's car because Lou couldn't be at the track. I don't think it was just a case of, of wanting to kind of dial it in for him or whatever, or find a problem. But it might have been. I think it was because Lou couldn't be at the track that night. I don't remember why. But um, they both got into the car after not racing all year, and Warren ended up with a top five finish. Now I'm glad. I am glad I looked it up only because uh, I thought he finished second that night, and he actually finished fourth. I think. 
I looked it up a couple of weeks ago. So I think it was fourth. But I know it was in the top five and it wasn't second. So I, was, I would have been wrong about that if I would tried to guess out of my brain. But I only looked it up because I wanted to make sure I was right about I thought it was interesting that these two best friends who hadn't raced. I mean, Warren did run that Bill Port yellow 54 rear engine car once in 79. But um, that's it. I mean, they had done no real regular racing in 79. And, and uh, they both came back on the same night and did that. And so what, e- what even struck me m- more ironically is that um, the 84, I just read you that list of drivers. They're all Canadians. The only driver that in my head and this would have been something I picked up in a program at some point, I think, but I, I haven't researched this. I'm probably wrong, but for some reason, I think I remember maybe Tinker Joe Martinsik in an 84. And again, I'm probably wrong. Um, and I can't think of any others. So to my knowledge, the only ones that I can confirm in the 84, Oh wait, I just now thought of another one. See, this is weird. I, I, how, this, I just now at this moment, Chip Simmons in the 84, um, he had 84 lumber on the car. So Chip Simmons, when he had, wow, would have been, I think the old Tobin car, old Tobin 21, maybe. And so that brings to mind that maybe Gary Albritton perhaps might've driven that in the classic or something. And maybe, no, I don't think Mike Muldoon never drove it as the 84, but I think, I think maybe Gary drove it in a classic. So that I just literally thought of that as I was recording this. So there's another one. Um, so that blows what I was going to say, which was that I only ever remember Canadians running the number 84. So I guess there were some exceptions to that, but it certainly is, uh, certainly is funny to, to kind of track these numbers and see what you come up with. But, uh, if you guys can add anything to that, uh, feel free, feel free to do that, please, because uh, it helps me to remember too. Uh, okay, topic number two. Um, Want to talk about the book giveaway that we're doing? So this is going to be a first. We have never done this this way with this show. Um, And so we're going to do this as a first. We're going to give away an autographed copy of a book called Deadly Driver. This book was written by a guy named J.K. Kelly. And J.K. Kelly is or was Daryl Waltrip's PR guy back in the late 70s when he was with Die Guard, the old Gatorade 88, when he was Jaws. Uh, <laughs> Kelly Arbery called Daryl Jaws. So JK grew up in Pennsylvania. His family owned a funeral home of all things. Uh, but JK took a liking to racing, started going to races, watching races and, uh, ended up coming down. I think he was wanting to work at Charlotte motor speedway or something. And they said, we're not hiring, but we know somebody who is. So he ended up at, at die guard the gardeners and Daryl Waltrip did that for a little while, kind of went back to PA and wanted to spend a little more time with the family and uh, went back to work the funeral home, but then ended up being one of the founding executives at VP racing fuels. He did that for, I think he just retired from there a few years ago. He's been, I think he was 45 or 46 years there. Um, and he's written several books. 
Most of them are fiction. Almost all of them are fiction, except for his biography, which is called Fuelin' Around, F-U-E-L-I-N, Around. Fuelin' Around, great book. I mean, remember, he's in PA, so he was dealing with a lot of the tracks and sanctions in the Northeast, so he references, you know, Glenn Donnelly and Super Dirt Week and a lot of the, the, the tracks up there. He and I have had some in-depth conversation about uh, Howie Commander at uh, Lebanon Valley and uh, Tom Curley, the ACT tour, just, uh, you know, so he's very well, and he, he has been to Oswego. Oswego's not in the book, but he's been there. Um, and so he's really uh, well-versed in the Northeast, but he's been all over the world, and his biography reads far more like, you know, a sex, drugs, and rock and roll book than it does anything else. Um, but it's also a great because he, he goes into into great depths about he you know how the, some of the business strategies that he used and, and how he kind of you know put all those deals and did all those things that he did with VP to help them build you know to where they are today and so um, it's a it's a really fun book because it's he writes it in plain English I mean he you know it's and he kind of just uh, puts it all out there as far as, uh, you know, when he was on these trips, the things that they would do and, you know, some of the adventures and misadventures they had. And <laughs> just uh, it's a fun book. That's not the one we're giving away, though. The one we're giving away is called Deadly Driver. And this is a fiction book. And the main character is a racer named Bryce who is from, and again, it's fiction, who is from New England. He grew up racing on the short tracks of New England. And he became uh he he went through nascar and indycar and ended up at f1 and um along the way he and the cia have a conversation and that becomes the basis for the story just an incredibly intense book a lot of fun um a lot of plot twists it's a really cool book to read i've got a signed copy for you so here's how we do this we are going to put a post on the Inside Groove Facebook page that will follow this show's post. So we'll put the show post up first, then we're going to put the um, the book post up. Now, here's what we want you to do. We're going to ask you to do some things in order to qualify to win the book. Number one, go to the book post, not the show post. Go to the book post, hit the like button, then hit the share button, and share that book post to your wall. Then go to Steering Wheel Nation on Facebook. Steering Wheel Nation. This is our new brand. We want you to like that page as well. So you got to do those three things to qualify to win the book. This is the first of what will become an ongoing piece of our new brand, which is Winning Wednesday. We're going to, once we fully launch the brand, we are going to have drawings for our VIP club members every week. And boy, have we got some cool prizes and cool things that we're going to be uh, drawing for. It's not just going to be books and hats and shirts. It's There's a little more to it than that. Can't uh, tell you the details just yet. Want to make sure we have everything buttoned up and signed, sealed, and delivered. But this is going to be fun. Um, the people that are working with me on this brand are amazing people. And they want to see, it's not about, you know, making me grow, uh, although that obviously is, 
inherent uh, in in the deal. But it's really more about two things. Number one, we really are all uh, those of us working on this project and the new brand launch are all big race fans, and we really we see all these stories of the sport that that are just not being covered. We want to cover them. Um, you know, we want to do a variety of different things, way more than I've ever done as a brand. We want to be on the road a little bit, go, you know, make some videos, do some really cool stuff, um, bring some types of racing to the to the table that, that you know, hasn't been brought yet um, or doesn't have a whole lot of media uh, attention. And, you know, that just we we want to have some fun. We're going to we're going to get uh, the car community involved in this, too. As we uh, start growing out the brand, and uh, we're going to be all about fast cars and motorsports. But I said there were two things. Here's the second thing: we want to give back. So we're working on this VIP club, which is going to be a formula that is going to involve um, some charitable organizations. So when we announce the club and and the monthly um, monthly fee to be to be a part of the club. And we can tell you everything you're going to get back for that. Um, we're going to give a significant portion of that to, um, you know, to, to go and help people in the communities. And, and uh, we, we've got some charities we want to work with. And we know there are others out there that we'll learn about as we go. But, um, you know, we just really want to – I want to do something to, to help people. You know, I look around at the world right now and even at the country. I mean, I've never seen this country like this in my lifetime ever. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things going on. So, you know, we, we want to do some things to get back. So we're going to make that uh, a tenant of the uh, VIP club that that's going to, and we'll have other ways of giving back as well. But those are the two things we really want to do with this. Um, but we're going to have some fun. All the shows will be there. Um, we're going to have more shows coming in. We've got other podcasts that we're, we're, uh, kind of bringing into this, um, and uh, other types of content that we're going to bring into this. We're going to be a hub. It's not just going to be about what we create. There are going to be other creators that will be putting stuff on our space. We'll have live streamed events. Um, we're not, uh, you know, challenging <laughs> flow racing or any of that right now. It's not our intent, but we are going to have, uh, as we go forward, probably not right in the beginning, but as we go forward, we're working with some, we've had some interest from a couple of folks that, that do that sort of thing. So we want to put some live stuff, uh, live stream stuff, racing stuff out there. Um, and that may not be till 22, but we're definitely going to have some. Uh, so we're going to, you know, we're going to do a lot with this brand. We're really excited about it. We're, uh, we're looking forward to it. This has been the culmination of about a year of hard work. And, and we, we kind of had to evolve this a little bit um, from it, it kind of started with my idea and then some other people got in and made it much bigger and grander. And we just realized as we started going down that road that it just wasn't, it, it became almost counterproductive to the end result. We wanted to keep it simple. So some of the stuff that we don't have at launch that was going to be in the, the, the big plan is still going to happen, but we're just going to do the launch and then start adding pieces to the, to the puzzle as we go. We will have apps, so uh, there will be a Steering Wheel Nation app working on that right now. So uh, good things happening. And we're excited because we want to do more live stuff. We want to be able to distribute that live stuff. We want more people to see Super Modifieds. We want, you know, and all of our other content as well. We 
So we've uh, we're assembling kind of a, a a real big time grassroots effort here with a lot of moving parts, and uh, so I'm excited, looking forward to it. Uh, but uh, the book is kind of we're you know this is kind of the launch of the uh, Winning Wednesday idea. So um, go uh, go like the book post, go share the book post, and then go like Steering Wheel Nation. Uh, we've got some content on the socials. We haven't been working it that hard, um, you know. But I I've had to kind of keep my nose to the grindstone here and work with the the creative team, and and we've been. We've been making a lot of decisions, and sometimes we make a decision this week, and then two weeks later we kind of look at it and go, "Ah, oh, we shouldn't have done that." So now you got to go back. But at this point, we've been at it long enough. We're just we're not we're not rushing the launch. At at this point, we want to just you know make sure that uh, at least the the parts we want to put out first are as good as we can make them and bug free before we hit that button. And I uh, hope you all enjoy it when it comes by. All right, so now let's spend a little time talking about classics, shall we? Um, I don't want to focus on the results and all of the sort of details. Those are all available at the Speedway's website, swigospeedway.com. Feel free to go and check that out uh, if you haven't already. You know, most of you know all that, so I'm not going to deal with it here. Um, What I do want to do is kind of look at the weekend overall. And absolutely an A-plus. Uh, the Teresi's, Chuck Hanley, the whole staff from the track, A+. This classic weekend felt to me, watching it on flow, felt to me like a celebration of Oswego Speedway history and super modified history. Um, and obviously, you have a lot of other divisions that were in action, but the, the super modifieds are the stars, right? Um, and I thought that the restored cars and Doug Haveron's appearance, uh, I just thought made it that much sweeter because I feel like that's what classic ought to be. You know, the, the racing is obviously the reason we all go there. However, the atmosphere should be very much a celebration of all that has been as well as all that is, right, as far as Oswego Speedway and, and Super Modifieds. And so the restored cars added to that. And it just felt right. Even watching it, it felt right. I mean, I I can't imagine what it was like to actually be there. Um, So let's talk about the individual days. So Friday, the big change was we moved time trials back to the afternoon and uh, basically got everybody out of the way as far as super modified divisions Got everybody out of the way for the super stocks and the compact cars on Friday night. I thought that was brilliant, and it and I thought it worked out great because here's the net effect of that. For those two divisions, the super stocks and the compacts, to be invited to be a part of Oswego Speedway's Classic Weekend is a huge honor to them. It's the biggest track they'll run on all year, number one. But number two, it's... It's an opportunity to be on a huge stage, which in a nationally televised event, really worldwide, because flow, you know, anybody can get flow, right? So, you know, these this was a worldwide audience, basically. And to to get all of to 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 allow them to have that time and have the big stage in front of the big crowd and not have to sort of compete with and be overshadowed by the supers 
or the Modifieds, for that matter, was fantastic. And it also gave them the entire evening because we know that there's going to be some some attrition, right, some crashing. You know, those types of cars, that's part of it. Um, they're going to tear up some foam, <laughs> you know. They're going to tear up some cars. And all that obviously takes time. You have a caution. It takes time to go back green. Um, but it gave them an opportunity to do all that and still have a couple of great races. And everybody got out of the track in time to either hang out at their camper and still have some some party time before you go to sleep. Or the ones that had to get home got home, you know, at a reasonable hour, at least for the most part. If you traveled so far that you didn't get home till after dawn the next day, thank you for coming. And I hope you'll come back next year because <laughs> we need you guys. Um, but most of the super stocks, I think, were fairly local within, you know, New York, Pennsylvania, that kind of thing. I don't think there were too many from, but there might have been. I think there were, there was one or two either super stocks or compacts, I think, that were from California or somewhere out there. And those are the ones like, my gosh, that's amazing. But that shows you the big race that it was and, and the way everybody looked at that. So, and also I felt like that also paid homage to the early years of the classic modified 200 double header weekends when we would have time trials on Saturday afternoon, clear the pits, bring in the modifieds, run the modified race. It was the same thing. You cleared the pits and brought in the super stocks. There's 50 super stocks out there or whatever and compacts. So the, I just thought that that was great. And I hope they keep it the same way next year. Saturday, same thing. I love the midgets being back. They're always fun to watch, put on good shows at Oswego. I love the compacts being on that card. And, of course, the NASCAR Modified Tour, the Wheel and Modified Tour. Um, you can say what you will about the tour. Everybody has their own opinion about the tour. But I love the tour. I love Modified's period. I'm glad they're there. They, they really like racing at Oswego. I've talked to a number of, the driver, a number of drivers about that. They really enjoy it. Um, and so that... I thought that was the perfect amount of divisions, perfect amount of cars. Again, the program ran off pretty well. I don't recall that they got that far behind, if they even got behind. Um, everything was over, decent hour, um, didn't start at the crack of dawn. So, again, all of that was really nice. And then how can you complain about Sunday? I mean, yeah, we had, you know, weather delay, whatever, and, um, you know, we had to start things later or, you know, um, condense some things or whatever. But for the most part, I thought it was great. Um, everybody, everything got in. Uh, you know, I thought the racing and, and almost every division I thought was, was outstanding. Um, you're not always going to get great races. I didn't think the classic was a super race, superb super race. Um, but I don't think it was, I think that the biggest reason that that's the case, because I sort of felt the same way about the spring race, it's just the lower car count. When you start less cars, you have less traffic. So especially in a race like the Classic where you do have still have some attrition, even though it's, you know, maybe a little less than what you used to, uh, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it just kind of, you know, back in the day, you had a lot of late race passes in traffic that, that really shook things up. And, you know, when you got... 28, 30 cars, 40 cars on the track, you know, 38 cars on the track. Um, 
that makes it touch and go. And I think it's more fun for the fans to watch. This race kind of felt like just a longer normal race. Sigourney led early, did a nice job, and then Dave passed him and took off, and that was it. There was really not, you know, there there, there wasn't all of the traffic for, for, you know, to slow Dave down at all, not say it would have. But, you know, I think the last few classics we've kind of seen that that, you know, Tyler Thompson um, has kind of, you know, done his strategy. This time he just, I don't for whatever reason, he just didn't seem as quite as competitive. He was still, he was still competitive, but just not quite as competitive. Um, and so, um, you know, this time it was Sidley and Schillick that pretty much had their own way with the rest of the field for the most part. I mean, Connors drove a good race and was up there and, you know, did that sort of thing and, and some other folks, but for the most part, you know, so I, I, I don't say that as sort of being critical. I'm just observing. And I think that's one of the reasons why the last, you know, couple of classics maybe, you know, have been a little different is we just don't start the same amount of cars. Now, that's not anybody's fault necessarily. I mean, certainly, and I don't want to see, there's been, I've, I've seen talk about, should we lower the field to 30 cars? No, absolutely not. You can leave it at 34 forever. If you get 34, start 34. If you get 27, that's what you're starting. You know, there's no reason to to change that. Um, you know, it's just the classics a little different race now. But here's the thing for me. Having said that, the race itself, you get good ones, you get great ones, and you get not so good ones. I think that was a good race. It wasn't a great race. I don't think it was a terrible race, but it wasn't a great race. Um but that's okay because, again, remember the weekend, if you look at Classic Weekend for what it ought to be, you know, the race itself is, I don't want to say it's secondary because it's why we all show up. But it's, you know, you can enjoy the weekend, and if the race wasn't so great this year, that's okay. You know, um, and I think that's really where we got to be because I, I think we're going to struggle a little bit to get back to 34 cars. I do. Um, I think that's just reality. Like, that's where we are. Um, we don't get a lot of... Um, influx from New England and Ohio anymore. We get a few here and there. Um, and we've lost three drivers out of the field already for next year. So no no uh, Didero, no Sidley, and no Allison Slowed. They're gone. So now we have to hope that in order to keep the field the same as it was this year, in other words, the roster, you got to hope that three different people buy those three cars. Because if that doesn't happen then if you get, if, if say, you know, uh, I don't know, um, Camden Proud was to buy another car, one of those three cars, but he's only racing one, you didn't really gain, you still lost a car in the field because he's either racing the car he's got now or he's racing the car he bought. So it's kind of one of those situations where you you start to see what, you know, what I've talked about for a while, you're eventually, I mean, I don't know about Joe Gozik. I hope he comes back, but golly, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just, it gets more amazing every year. He's, he's mid sixties and he's still running like he was 30. So, you know, he, he's not going to be racing forever. I don't think, I mean, I realize there are racers out there that are in their seventies and eighties, but 
I don't know. I mean, I would have to think there'd be a point where your eyesight or whatever, something would happen and you won't be able to, to race at those speeds at the super modified um, successfully <laughs> somewhere along the way. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's, I think those are the things we need to consider. Um, so I, I think that uh, <laughs> I just had this image in my head of Joe being like 78 years old and still racing a super. Um, but uh Anyway, sorry about that. Um, so yeah, I think that um, I think that we need to to look at the weekend and enjoy the weekend. And if the race is great, it's great. If it's not, you know, hey, that's okay. It is what it is. We still got supers running. I don't until somebody fundamentally changes their mindset about the must-haves to be a super modified. You know. Um, I don't think it's going to be any different, honestly. Now, with that said, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to end on a praise here because with that said, um, maybe this doesn't help the classic, but it certainly does a great thing for super modifieds of the Oswego Speedway. Hello, John Nicotra, and I don't know what they're calling this yet, but they're doing a three race top wing uh, series at Oswego. Isma and MSS and the Swigo are all on board, so I assume that means it's a points race for all three, or at least uh, at least uh, Isma and MSS. Anyhow, big big money, big money. I don't have the, the the details in front of me, so I don't want to throw numbers out there because I'll be wrong and John will be mad at me. Um, and I want to I want to be nice to John because I want to get him on the show to talk about it, <laughs> so I don't. For once, I want a promoter on to talk about what they're doing, so I don't have to. Um, but uh, wow, am I excited! Thank you, John the Coacher, because I don't care if it's top wing or tail wing. I just want to see full fields, and I want to see some great racing. And the race that we had this year, the uh, King of Wings, was incredible. So all about me, some top wing series, if that's what it's going to take to get something really cool going on that's different and unique and uh yeah like i said uh big money involved so excited about that um this show is open to john or whoever's you know dealing with that um like to have you know information out there talk about it you know come on the show whatever we want to do that that's uh that's awesome and congratulations to john and otto and the team for winning the isma title this year uh, we didn't get to talk about Jennerstown on this show. We'll do that uh, next week on uh, the next show, uh, just because I, I really don't want to uh, add too much more to this show. We've already been long enough. So, um, but uh, that's that's awesome news. So there is definitely that's going on, and that's good. So I don't I don't want anybody going, oh, man, Baker just dissed the classic. He said, no, I, I'm just saying it's a different race now. It, um, you know, but the weekend was amazing. My gosh, it was great. I loved it. Hope we can get more restored cars next year. I'd love to see a day when there's 10 of them sitting in the uh, Pinario for people to see because that's how the younger fans get to appreciate the history and where their drivers that they watch today came from and where this evolved from. And you can never have too much of that, in my opinion, at your biggest flagship race. So, um, great job, everybody. It was fun. I'm going to close this here, and uh, we're going to, again, talk to Josh Sokolik, talk to Bobby Holmes next week. We'll talk about Jennerstown a bit, and uh, we'll try to have, I'll try to have in front of me uh, all the information on the big series. 
uh, big top wing series that's uh, been announced that John the coach has put out there for next year. Um, again, thank you, John. Really appreciate that. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to uh, all that discussion. So uh, as, as I close this, one more general reminder. If you want to win the book I talked about, go to the book post, like it, share it to your wall, and go like Steering Wheel Nation on Facebook. And we will be back for Inside Groove 85 next week. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. Thank you to all of our sponsors, and thank you to all of you who listen to this show. Have a great week, everybody. So long, and God bless. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.